Welcome to the Second Success Podcast by Dr. Rakesh Rana, the Clear Coach. Getting clear on the mindset for repeatable success. Hello and welcome to the Second Success Podcast. I'm Dr. Rakesh Rana, the Clear Coach. Today I'll be joined by Sanjay Jogia of iJogia Photography, a multi-award winning and internationally acclaimed photographer, but more about him shortly. So, 21 episodes in. Um, I must admit, um, I wasn't sure how long this would be going, but uh, it's still going, still more interviews to come, so I'm hoping that you're all enjoying it, and uh, if it's the first time you're listening into Second Success Podcast, be sure to subscribe and follow on your favourite podcast streaming platform. And um, for those that have been following me and listening to all the guests that I've had on, please do let me know who's been your favourite and why. I'd be really interested to know, actually. Um, most of them I'm acquainted with and they're very good friends. So, you know, I see them completely differently to maybe how others may perceive them. So to get some insight from those that have been listening into these podcasts would be quite interesting. So on to today's guest. He's a friend of mine, Sanjay Jogia. He's an internationally acclaimed and award-winning photographer who's been featured as one of the world's six best wedding photographers by Global Professional Photographer magazine. He's the only wedding ambassador by Canon UK representing the EMEA region, as well as being a global brand ambassador for X-Rite, Fundy Software, Tether Tools, Loop Deck, Canson Infinity, ISO, Spiffy Gear and Dreambooks Pro. Together, Sanjay and his wife Roshni established iJogia Photography, a successful luxury destination wedding photography studio based in Harrow-on-the-Hill. Sanjay's self-taught love of photography started at school by developing his own style and approach from a young age with his father's film camera, uh, which was a Canon E1. Known for his unconventional creativity and a timeless style, Sanjay travels the world as a photographer, educator, mentor, judge, brand and industry ambassador. His wedding images are a blend of reality and fantasy, a fashion and movie-inspired approach using beauty, lighting and posing techniques which are balanced with a sensitive, observant and almost portrait-like documentary approach for the majority of wedding images, giving his wedding couples the best of both worlds. Ultimately, he wants to tell the amazing story of all iJogia couples in a way they will cherish with pride. Sanjay has won over 80 of print competition awards, but now is privileged to be invited regularly as a judge for WPPI in Las Vegas, for SWPP in London, SM Photography in Sweden, and for the British Photography Awards as an associate amongst various online European competitions. Sanjay has also proudly represented Team GBE in the World Photographic Cup for the past two years with two of his images as finalists. Last but not least, Sanjay actively represents the British wedding and events industry with his ongoing participation in the UK Government Task Force for Weddings in two of the six working groups to gain government support, both financially and operationally, to reignite the industry in the wake of the global pandemic following a year of industry-wide neglect. Now let's hear what Sanjay had to say about how he has achieved his success. Hello Sanjay and welcome to the Second Success Podcast. Hi Rakesh, thanks for having me. No, thank you, thank you. It's uh, um, I'm what twenty odd episodes in now, so uh, I, I'm not sure why I haven't got you on sooner, really. But um, uh, you know, I'm glad I have now. So, well, you know, it's uh, it, there's there's you know you're you very well connected. You know a lot of people, and uh, you know you know a lot of very successful and interesting people. So uh, yeah, I can imagine it's been a bit of a challenge for you just to get through that list. It's your fault for being so popular, mate. Well, I have been lining up the interviews, but like I said, the fact that relatively in network networking type of terms and 
I'm, I'm, I would say you're probably closer to me than some of the people I've interviewed. It's sometimes we don't really notice the most obvious things that are in front of our nose and you kind of forget to uh, forget to realize, you know, I consider you more of a friend rather than a successful entrepreneur, businessman, photographer type of person, if you know what I'll I mean. I'll take that. I, that that's, that's, uh, that's quite a compliment. So thank you. Cheers. Cheers. So, um, let's go back. I mean, this is a second success podcast. So it's about people who have achieved success and moved on to try and create other successes. I want to talk about you. Photography wasn't it for you at the beginning. You did architecture, didn't you? Well, it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, it, it was because my, I grew up with photography. My, my dad worked for Kodak for 35 years and, uh, you know, that left a mark, you know, it, how can it not when it's, Yep, it's you know it's such a big industry uh, in Harrow where I lived, uh, you know back then anyway, and it was a huge community that that worked there. And the great thing about um, Kodak as a business then was they used to really get the families of their employees involved in you know in, in so many things mm-hmm. in uh, recreational events and and education and workshops and that sort of thing. And uh, as a kid, I used to go to like, you know, the Christmas parties and the workshops and all that sort of stuff. But I also worked there as a student when I was at university studying architecture. Mm. So I think the whole photographic world and sphere just sort of permeated into my life um, just through osmosis, basically. And, um, uh, you know, when I was a kid, there's, there's always... There've always been three main passions for me. You know, one one was photography. Mm-hmm. Um, another is another's cars, as you very well know. Yeah. Um, and the, the third, and this is in no particular order, right? Uh, the third was architecture. I always wanted to. I was always fascinated by architecture and by buildings, and uh, you know, sort of grew up wanting to be uh, an architect, but also wanted to be a photographer, and I also wanted to be a car designer. Okay. And I nearly also did car design at one point. That's a whole different story. Um, so I've always had these passions. And now I'm very lucky to, to have achieved two of the three. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I, I, have no, I have no regrets that I left architecture behind. But yeah, I, I qualified. I studied and qualified as an architect and then practiced for, um, I don't know how many years it was, I, I think, maybe 10 years uh, maybe just a a handful of years fewer as a qualified architect because it's a very long process Mm -hmm. and um, I I sort of just rediscovered my love of photography Um, maybe in 2004 or 5 or something like that Um, was there a particular moment was there something specific so you know, studying architecture. When I when I got to toward the end of it, um, toward the sort of the the, the sharp end as as I entered um, the industry, it just dominated my life, and I didn't really have time for for other stuff. And um, around that time, when I was qualifying, I was, I was studying for my professionals. Uh, Roshni and I were planning a wedding, and I was buying a house. So I was literally doing three of the biggest things anyone could think of doing within the space of 12 months and that just took over my life and um yeah it just sort of it sort of slipped away temporarily i'd say and then when we went on uh honeymoon i decided to stop at the 
duty-free at the airport and, and buy myself uh, a digital camera. Because up until that point, I, I, had a, I had a film camera and mm-hmm. you know, I kind of grew up with this film, ca- this Canon film camera uh, that used to, well, it, it's my dad's. I still have it, actually. Um, and he, he, he never, I mean, he used to use it, but not so much. I used to use it more. But I think the key element that sort of is uh, common to all of those different passions is that I'm a geek. Mm-hmm. You see, and it's the it's the geek in me that kind of really got me into all of those things. I love to know how stuff works, and I was fascinated by how the camera worked as a machine. I'm fascinated by how cars work as a machine. Yeah. I'm fascinated how buildings go together as an entity and as a machine, actually. Um, but then at the same time, I've always loved art. I've always been quite artistic. I so I get that from my mum. Uh, she was always very artistic and creative. I used to love drawing and painting and sculpting and that sort of stuff as as a kid i was constantly drawing cars yep like if someone put a piece of paper in front of me and a a pencil i just the first thing i'd draw is a car so um i've always i've always kind of had that going on and then i really kind of discovered that i love drawing buildings as well trying to understand the components of how it comes together so all of these things had just uh, had all these things going in my mind mm. when I was younger, but I was quite focused on training to be an architect. So to the point that I worked backwards yeah. um, when I was in high school to work out what GCSEs I needed to do in order to get the A-levels I needed to be able to get onto the degree I needed to become an architect. The fact that you knew that you wanted to be an architect that early on, though, you know, when you were like 14, 15, and most people don't know what to do. They're, you know, they're aspiring to be astronauts or pilots or something. So the fact yeah. that you knew at that young an age that you wanted to be an architect is quite, uh, quite impressive. Yeah, it's, um, I'm not sure where that came from, actually. Um, the, the whole, the whole image of being able to design and design a building and and the image of being an architect uh, really appealed to me. I mean, it had such a big effect mm. on me. Um, I'm not entirely sure where that came from. Were there any role models at the time? Um, I didn't know anything about architecture. I didn't know anything about architects. Uh, I, you know, I would see a building and it would just appeal to me. Uh, mm. And I didn't know why. Uh, and that was kind of the that was kind of the quest for me. It was trying to discover what it was about buildings and architecture and design that really appealed to me. And, and there were a few of my friends, you know, very close friends that, that I went to high school with that also wanted to become architects. So we, we sort of started this journey together. Um, and they went off to do other things, oddly enough. One of them ended up becoming, you know, studying structural engineering, which is, you know, quite closely yeah. related, but uh, didn't do architecture. And the other one also started structural engineering, but then became a pilot. Okay. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think the key thing is I was surrounded by people who were very focused, very driven, very competitive. And we're all competitive with each other, mm-hmm. but we're the best of friends. And I, I think the key revelation in hindsight is just how having that mindset of, um, being focused and driven and trying to understand your own passions and your own personalities. And remember at that age, your personality is still forming, right? So, of course. you know, we're, we're, we understand who we are at the time, but we, our experiences are developing us, 
but so long as we remain tuned into who we are mm-hmm. to a certain degree, you can understand that journey that you're taking rather than just being a passenger. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think being surrounded by people who are very open-minded, very focused, not so focused that they were blinkered, but focused and self-aware. Um, and I think the self-awareness is a key, you know, probably where that comes from is probably key to everything really. Um, uh, that It just meant that as our lives developed and our experiences developed and uh, our successes and failures developed and presented themselves, mm-hmm. we, we, um, we weren't scared to follow the journey that was, you know, the path that was being laid out in front of us. Yeah, because that's exactly what it is, isn't it? Um, you know, for, for those guys, one of them, he started. He started the, the pilot, for example. Um, he always had a passion to be a pilot. He didn't. I don't think he really had a passion to be a structural engineer. And mm. and he sort of he he graduated from the undergrad, but he didn't finish the whole qualification because he then followed the passion to become a pilot. Of course. Uh, and it's really listening to these things, uh, listening to yourself, and listening to your heart, and understanding that. These are the things that really kind of turn you on, turn, turn, you know, light that fire. Yeah. So coming back to then when you said that you picked up a DSLR camera on honeymoon. Well, so okay, I, so I grew up shooting. You know, I, yeah. I grew up shooting film uh, and developing um, film when I was younger at you know at Kodak at these workshops, and I always liked the creation side rather than developing side at the time. I found the developing side a bit messy and, <laughs> and a bit scary because it was in a way it was having to face the results of what I may or may not have created. Um, I must admit, I used to, when when I was studying for my A-levels, I think I did an electoral uh, photography class. So taking photos, but developing them as well. And that was the part yeah. that I didn't like either because the amount of duds that would come out. And it was the disappointment, I guess, because I'd spent all that time and effort to see not the results I wanted to see. And, yeah, um, that's right. I mean, it never stopped me taking photos, don't get me wrong. But yes, I'm, I'm the development side, I, I, in the end, I'm kind of glad digital came along in the end. Well, you know, it's, it's quite symbolic of life, isn't it? Um, yeah. That whole process. You, you know, you, you, have this, you have this machine, you, you, you need to understand how the machine works, which is, you know, what, what does that represent? Is that um, the, the machine could be you. Uh, you know, you, mm-hmm. you have to understand how you work in order to get predictable results. Um, you need to understand what, each setting does so you know what, what what are the settings that you could draw an analogy between you, you know, one one as a human being and and yeah. the, the camera as, as a machine you know you've got at the time you had very simple settings you could adjust mm. the shutter speed the aperture and the the back then it was the asa is now the iso yeah. which is a sensitivity depending on what film you put in there and, and the focus which was manual so mm. uh I, I suppose the focus quite literally would be your your attention on yeah. on what it what, whatever it is you're doing the 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 shutter speed affects the exposure to the subject so yeah. the shutter speed i suppose could be how much time you give how much attention you actually give see as you're talking uh, through this sanjay that you know this all makes so much more sense now but you know what yeah. this is my realization of developing a growth mindset over probably the only the past 8 years i think going back i was very fixed mindset reliant so much on my kind of innate talent i guess in being good at certain things and when i sure. realized i wasn't good in this i gave up very easily 
However, if I'd had that mindset to understand that actually is a, is a, it's a journey, it's something that I need to learn and develop, I guess I could have given it a better go. But I don't know. I, I don't know who I didn't have around me to guide me in that sense. But great to see that you're so reflective in that. And that's a great analogy, by the way. Yeah. But I mean, for me, it's uh, I consider myself to be very fortunate to have those people around me. You know, I I. I I speak about my brother as a role model a lot, actually. Uh, obviously, my parents, but my, my brother um, w- was a massive influence on me because there was such a big there's such a big age gap. He's 11 years older than me, so you know when you're when you're and we're now like we're now like mates. Whereas at that age, he was like another dad to me. In fact, I was hmm. probably more scared of my brother than I was of my dad. And and I think the difference is that because you know you you're scared of your dad because your parents and they're that much older than you but then my brother's that much older than me as well the difference is my my brother went through higher education my parents didn't they they were uneducated up to they they only did education up to probably um, GCSE level before they had to you know hop countries and then come to the UK and you know kind of become the the heads of the family and bring everyone out you know that yeah the, the, the the usual story that we hear hear about Indians it's quite a common story and you know it's um quite an intrepid one but for my brother he was the he's so my parents are the eldest of their siblings so my brother was the first of all of our cousins and there were no other extended family members around mm-hmm. it, he was the only one wow. he, he didn't have anyone to lean to in the family for to, you know for help with homework he had to figure it out for himself yep uh so in a sense he was he was a pioneer and he was the first of our family to get educated and go to university he ended up going to imperial college and studying he studied aeronautics. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of my, a lot of these influences for me in terms of um, understanding how things work probably comes from my brother, okay. who's also quite geeky in a way. He's quite technical. Um, but he's quite analytical. And, you know, I, as every younger brother would, um, took interest in his interests. So I, I started taking interest in aeroplanes. And I still have an interest in planes, but not, not to that level. And he's like, well, you know, and I remember, I remember this conversation. I don't remember when it was or how old I was. I remember saying, look, you don't need to copy what I'm doing. You don't need to have my interests. Yeah. You need to try and learn to develop your own. And I'm like, like what? You know, I'm, I, I, I wasn't exposed to a whole lot of other things mm. that had really stimulated me. So he exposed me to them. You know, he exposed me to cars in a way. And it's like, okay, well, look. I remember he he bought me he bought me a car magazine my first car magazine and that was it I was hooked. Now I can't stop reading car magazines. You know, <laughs> and he took me to my first motor show, which was I think it was the nineteen eighty seven London Motor Show in Earl's okay. Court. I was I was eleven, wow. and uh, um, I just I just got sucked into this world of cars. I think he introduced me to F one. I can't remember because I'm a massive F one nut. Yeah, and uh, I, I don't know how. Maybe maybe it was just something that we both started watching together. I'm not. I don't remember. I was so young, so you know, I had that. I had him to influence those things and trigger those things for me, but he yeah. didn't. You know, it all came from his own innate realization of himself and stuff around him and people mm-hmm. are you know just observing and. Um, you know, I mean, I, I, I can I guess, resonate with that being. I guess the oldest as well of siblings, cousins. My brother's nine years younger than me, and I remember right. him you know, 
latching on to some of my own interests when I was younger. You know, he'd be five, six, taking loads yeah. of interest into what I was interested in at the time. But obviously, having grown yeah. up now, he's got his own interests. He does his own thing. I've got my own thing. You know, we've still got certain traits that we we have, but I can completely mm. get that. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, it's. I think with the self-realization side of things, it kind of comes from probably a number of things. You know, my my mum was quite religious. My dad's reasonably religious. Um, probably not as much as my mum was. My, mm. But my mum combined it with spiritualism, which is what I think, you know, me and Roshni are very spiritual. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we were both quite spiritual before we even met and got together. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, comes from my relationship with my brother and my sister. I have an older sister who's two years older than me. And we used to have all sorts of weird and wacky conversations, you know, kind of growing up at the, at the dinner table. Um, they, they were always kind of exploratory conversations about mm-hmm. existence, you know, yeah. our existential conversations, you know, the, 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 where did we come from? What, what, what was the big bang? What was there before the big bang? You know, we, those are the sorts of conversations we used to have, you know, and I'm talking about when we were, you know, early teens, that sort mm-hmm. of thing. Um, but yeah, I can't really, I can't overstate the the influence I think my, my brother's had on us because you know, all the stuff he used to listen mm-hmm. to, we were exposed to music wise, all the stuff that he used to watch on TV, we were exposed mm-hmm. to stuff he used to read, we were exposed to, you know, for example, in the eighties, there was so you know the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, yeah. right? Yeah, so that was originally, I believe, well, originally it was a book, but then mm. there, there was a radio show, yep, on the BBC, and the there TV was a BBC, series which me and my sister used to watch over and <laughs> over and over again, just because it was so clever, it was so funny, and it had such dry, clever humor that was so beautifully interwoven through the whole series um it just you know i think that ignited our imaginations and mm-hmm. you know we watched that because my brother watched it yeah. uh so you know we we me and my sister are really very fortunate that we we had that uh stimulus from my brother mm. who, who stimulated you to move into professional photography then where did that come about from um who's i'm not sure anyone really stimulated it as such not not in the same sort of way the photography was always there right so yeah. I, you know even when i was studying architecture doing my undergrad i used to use photography as part of my um kind of graphical methods mm-hmm. to to uh, yeah. convey my my designs and you know we used to build models of our yeah. designs and uh, i used to photograph those you know, that, that always sort of got me good results. And then the other students would ask me to take pictures for them and <laughs> I would charge them for it. But a friend introduced us, well, introduced me to one of her friends who was getting married. Okay. And, uh, and you know, they, they basically said, look, have a look at Sanjay's photography because, um, you know, you might like it. And then mm. uh, if you do, you know, you can speak to him about engaging him for shooting the wedding. Now, I'd, I'd never shot a wedding professionally at this point first wedding i photographed was my my uncle's wedding in in sydney okay when i was i think 13 i wasn't obviously not a professional but i was mm-hmm. i was just a nephew with a camera with my mm-hmm. dad's film camera uh, and i really enjoyed that but 
this is slightly different because you know it's the full responsibility of it so mm. we got talking and I, and I showed her some some of the stuff that I've done architectural uh cars some yeah just documentary shots uh, along the way for other friends and maybe asked me to do shots of them at their weddings along the way and uh she said like she really loved my style so you know w- would I be willing to shoot her wedding for a fee and I thought okay mm-hmm. um, let's give it a go you know, and it was a good chance to sort of upgrade my equipment yeah you know, and I'd bought a relatively basic um, digital camera when, you know, when Rosh and I were going on honeymoon, but I needed to get something, yeah. you know, more suited to the purpose. So I thought, okay, I've been meaning to do this for a while. Um, and then I've always been a Canon man. So I bought a Canon 5D Mark I. Oh, nice. Um, and, you know, a couple of lenses and some flash equipment and stuff like that. And then went and shot this wedding. And um, it was, it was scary. I mean, it was stressful, mm. but Rosh and I loved it. We we fell in love with it. We we loved the social element. I, we loved the pressure. We loved the creativity. Mm. We loved all of the emotion that was, you know, there in the room. That we it was just we were just spoiled for choice in terms of what we could capture. Mm. And uh, yeah, I think from there we were just hooked. So uh, we decided to build a website with you know uh, images from that wedding and okay. then other stuff I'd done uh, along the way. Sanjay, and, uh, I was going to say, how um, yeah. in you buying the kit, how yeah. important do you think buying the kit was in terms of a forcing factor for you to go down this path? And the reason I ask that question is a lot of people have ideas or things that they want to do. They'll, they'll sure. dip their toe in, try it and think, no, oh, that's OK. But I always, especially with my clients, what I say to them is that you need some sort of a forcing factor, some investment almost that will commit you to that journey. Do you think the kit was that, something as simple as that? Or do you, had you already made up your mind that this is what you were going to do? Um, yeah, I mean, I had to overspend a little bit in, mm. in order to achieve what I had to do at that wedding. Um, and the kind of the argument was that, look, I've been meaning to get this camera anyway. Mm-hmm. So I justified that. But the other stuff, the fee from the wedding would cover it. So even if I didn't use it again, I could always sell it. So I don't think really that kind of forced me to to pursue it. Okay. Um, you know, I, I've always been a bit of an early adopter when it comes to technology and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, whether because I, I, I love music too. I'm a real audiophile, uh, and and I love, um, you know, like good quality sound systems yeah. and that sort of stuff too. I love my uh, um, AV, but. Uh, you know, I also understand that when it comes to hardware, technology has yeah. steep depreciation to it too. So I, I wasn't too worried about it as such. But then, you know, I, I had Rosh to kind of balance that. She's very pragmatic. And she's like, look, if you're going to do all this stuff, then make use of it. Mm. Um, so her attitude was, look, if we invest, let's invest in all this equipment. And I, and we need to make it you know, make yeah. it worthwhile for us. So. Uh, I kind of had her on on one side, just kind of poking and prodding, um, but she's also the business brains, by the way, right? And she she's also yeah. this, this strategic one in that sense. Mm. So she kind of really said, "Well, we've done this. Let's get a website together and put it out there and see what yeah. comes of it." You know, I was going to say you've um, you know I, I talk with a lot of individuals and people become a success, you know, they can, they can be successful on their own, but actually when they start collaborating with people, you know, that's when success really goes far. And I guess you've been fortunate in having Rosh as your partner, not only as your married partner, but your business partner too, that to combine Absolutely. together, you've created, you know, you've made a formidable team. You know, 
really in that support, I suppose there's another factor that's really helped you go forward. hundred um, percent. I always say I can't do it without her. You know, I describe her as my secret weapon because, you know, she puts me at the front as the, as the face of the business, but the reality is she's the face of the business. I'm interviewing the wrong person, aren't I? Sanjay, yeah, I'm interviewing the wrong person. I think you are. You, you, <laughs> need to, you need to interview Rosh. Maybe, maybe that can be a part two. It'd be interesting to say, see um, how she's because she's not here at the moment. So uh, she, she doesn't know what my answers are. It'd be interesting to see if it actually uh, ties in. But um, I have to do that. Yes. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, exactly. Yeah, sorry, carry on. Yeah, no, but you know, I, she, she, so she puts me out there as the face of the business. She runs the business. I'm, I'm the face of the photography but we're both the face of the brand. So it's really, you know, we, we know that each of us have a role. We have a position, we have an identity as far as a brand is concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact is, you know, it really is yin yang with us. There are things that I can't do and I won't do. And I don't like doing that. Mm-hmm. She will do and can do and does like doing and vice yeah. versa. Okay. Um, so it works in that sense. It works really well. Um, yeah. I couldn't have it any other way to be honest. Tell me, so with the success that you've had with the photography, you know, and for those listening, I'll tell them to go and, you know, read the podcast description to go and check out your uh, Instagram, you know, check out the photos. I mean, I'm still amazed. You know, there's some photos I've seen so many times and yet I still go into them and look at them and I think, wow, brilliant. Do you at any point suffer from imposter syndrome? Oh, God, all the time. Um, I think it's one of the things that, that motivates me. Um, so, you know, I do these kind of little motivational posts on Fridays on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually the, the, the things I post are either things that they, they resonate with me at that point in time for one reason or another, either something I've observed or, 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 or I'm experiencing uh, or feeling at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and the observation could be completely detached from me, but it's struck a chord. And, you know, I, I have I have certain hashtags that I put on there. Um, and, and those are the things that those are the kind of the motivating mottos mm-hmm. for me to make sure that I'm true to myself always. Now, uh, one of them is, well, obviously, it's the happy damn Friday, which is what I put. But the, the kind of the motivating ones are um, evolve or evaporate. Mm-hmm. You can't keep still and rest on your laurels um, because it's very easy to do that, rest on your laurels and think, well, I achieved that. I can just sit back and enjoy this now. Mm. And then it gets, but then it becomes stale, you see. Mm-hmm. And before you know it, people are going to be overtaking you. You're going to be left behind. That's the first thing. Then the other one is uh, do what you fear mm-hmm. because I think fear, fear can be either a paralytic or a real motivating factor. So if you do what you fear, then you're allowing it to motivate you. And one of one of my fears, I would say, is to become irrelevant. Mm-hmm. So it's very important for me to just try and keep evolving, um, mm. stay true to myself, understand who I am at that point in time, because we're all changing and growing. And, you know, we, we, we change as we experience life and that changes our outlook and attitudes to things. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Also, doing what you fear means that, you know, you might have ideas and you're just afraid to get it going or for whatever reason, you fear of failure or fear that it's going to take too long or that you don't understand it. But you won't know until you do it. So that's mm-hmm. that, that's uh, um, 
that one as well. Oh, the other, well, the other hashtag actually there is love and light, which is kind of represents us and our brand and who we are and what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, you know, Roshni's name means light. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I'm the love in that. Um, <laughs> but it's what we do as a, as a business is, is love and light too. Mm. Now, I, I don't ever want to be compared to somebody else in terms of, you know, my, my images. And of course, clients are going to do that because they're investing in it. But of course, I don't want anyone to ever say your images are like this person or you, you do no. this image like that person. And it can happen accidentally because yeah. there's no such thing as um, avant-garde anymore. You know, it's everything. It's a bit like architecture. I think mm-hmm. everything that can be done has been done. And now you have to try and put your own spin on it. But photography is like a dialect mm-hmm. right so it's it represents my vision what i see in my personality mm-hmm. if 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 it turns out that my images are like other people's then i'm not original enough I, i'm not yeah. true to myself enough and my identity is now no longer my identity it's shared with somebody else mm-hmm. so um Provenance is really important, I think, in terms of what we do, uh, in terms of our brand uh, and who we are. But the, the imposter syndrome, I always I try to keep it there in the forefront a little bit, ward off the complacency. Um, someone asked me the other day, do, do I still get nerves when I go to a wedding? Yeah, every time I crap myself before every wedding. You know, I, again, I kind of rely on that because it's a motivator. It shows and, you and care. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is it. And once or twice in the past, not often, hmm. um, I, I got to a wedding thinking, I don't have the nerves that I normally do, you know, like kind of something's not right. Yeah. And uh, and I had to really push myself harder to, to, to work harder to generate those nerves so that I can continue pushing myself and work harder throughout the day. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, yeah. Um, it was it was a really it's a really odd cycle, but you know, I, I'm glad I had that um, that clarity and that self realization that I needed to have those nerves. Yeah. Um, now, some people might argue is that well, you shouldn't you shouldn't have to rely on nerves; you should just be able to turn up and do your own thing. But uh, and you know, to some degree, that's probably true. But I think without, um, I think that's how complacency settles in, though. If you can if you can just go in and do something that you're that passionate about and care about that much and you're not scared a little bit i don't yeah. think you know you're going to get complacent it's the same with me and my coaching i'll be going into a coaching session and there's times where i'm thinking almost scared am i going to be able to deliver am i going to be able to help my client to the best of my abilities sure. and it's only because i care about it so much and i think if i didn't yeah. that's when things you know you start getting complacent maybe you don't do as good a job I, I think that's that's a fear for me is that complacency, you know, mm-hmm. and not doing a good enough job because, you know, if touch wood it hasn't, if something went wrong, mm. I, I I know that it was because I I wasn't fully into it, um, yeah, and because I didn't have that nervous energy, that anxiety that I need to be performing at that top level the whole time, and it's really about slipping into a comfort zone. I think if you go into a place too comfort comfortable, you you know you kind of in a comfort zone. And, uh, you know, there's that, there's that quote that says great things don't come from comfort zones, you know, so yeah. that's, that's, um, I think that's important. So yeah, the, the whole imposter syndrome yeah. uh, is, is important, but I don't let it envelop me. Um, that's important. And 
I guess with all the accolades you've received, the numerous awards, ambassadorships for like Canon, ISO, it, you could you could almost understand why somebody might get complacent, but I can't see it happening with you. And, you know, it's been great to see that journey, especially, you know, with, with lockdown happening and, you know, the, the dearth of work for you as well. It's great to see you still working on projects to create classes, to help others. I think it's been brilliant. And I guess coming out of lockdown now, things are only going to be looking promising for you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I hope so. I mean, things are the, the, the there are good signs or good signals. Um, things will be very different, though. Uh, obviously, mm. we're going to come out of this evolved. Um, yeah. Otherwise, we would have evaporated through yep. lockdown. Uh, we are trying new things. Um, the business has evolved. I think our attitudes have evolved. The, the attitudes of our clients will have evolved through this mm -hmm. as well. Which, and, and we have to you know, move with that. We have to adapt and, and pivot to... Um, but in, in terms of the look, the accolades, the awards, and stuff, uh, they're more. I don't do them to to compete and compare with other people because no. everybody's different. Everyone's situations are different. Everyone's sensibilities are different. I think everybody's interests are different, and their their goals when they set out to, you know, when 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 they enter these competitions or set out to create their imagery is is different as well. So. You know that sort of comparison for me is a bit irrelevant. I enter these things to test myself mm -hmm. more than anything, um, to test my thinking, to test my processes, to uh, test my relevance to a certain degree. Um, mm -hmm. And those, those those awards are not they don't win you clients. Mm. You know they look good. Yeah, they sound nice. Uh, everybody's award winning now, um, and it means different things to different people. I don't think it means anything to clients anymore because they just see it everywhere. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think it's just something that each individual wants to achieve for their own. For themselves, exactly. Reason. Yeah, absolutely. But when it comes to things like the ambassadorships, mm. um, I, I liken it to, you know, first of all, it's very, very gratifying. And you, to think that you've got huge global brands mm. that consider me worthy to represent their brand, you know, <laughs> um it's it's incredible and and if anything that's where the imposter syndrome might come and it's like really they picked me out of the entire planet of people to to do this thing i mean i'm yeah. not the only ambassador for like canon and, and iso and the other brands yep. but very small you know, a, very small, small population number. yeah you know, it's a small percentage of the population of the planet yeah. uh, and of the population of yeah but even of the population of the industry um but i, I liken it to uh, like an F1 world championship, mm -hmm. you know, I, I'm a big Lewis fan and he, yeah. you, you grind all year to win the yeah. championship and you only really own that for three and a half months before it's yours to lose again. Yeah. And that three and a half months is between the end of the, the season that he's won it and the start of the mm. next season, which is about to start. That's the only time he has to enjoy that. And then the rest of the time he's fighting to retain it. It's to lose. Mm -hmm. and it's the same thing with the ambassadorships. It's, I'm there. I'm there doing the, the job I'm supposed to do. Yeah. Um, not just, I like to think I'm not just doing the job I'm supposed to do, but I'm exceeding mm -hmm. the expectations. Um, and, uh, you know, the, these things aren't permanent. They're not permanent. Mm -hmm. like the, the Canon ambassadorship has a limited lifespan on, on the ambassadorship, and then it comes up for review. And mine's just got renewed again, which is great. Um, so, it, you know, it is, it is mine to lose. 
So I've got to remain relevant for, for that so yeah. that I'm relevant to Canon because uh, you can become irrelevant. And they're like, well, you know, he's a great person, he's a great photographer, but he doesn't represent our brand anymore because he's not relevant to our own philosophies and strategy and all that mm. kind of stuff. And at some point, you know, I, I won't be ambassador for these brands yeah. anymore. I just have to realize that, you know, yeah. it's, you can't always be, Lewis won't always be, be world champion. Yeah. He'll always be a seven-time champion, hopefully yeah. an eighth. Of course. And then at some point he'll retire and he won't be fighting for the championship again, but he'll always have the championship championships, you know? Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, you, you've got to remain pragmatic. Uh, and, you know, I mm. use that, I, I use those things to, to motivate yeah. myself to remain but, current and, and relevant yeah. and um, hopefully interesting to, you know, the photographers that are engaged with those brands. Um, mm. Hearing you talk, though, Sanjay, I think also very grounded, too. Uh, thank you. I, that's something that I really make an effort to, to, to be. I just, I don't, I think one of the biggest insults and one of the biggest uh, wounding injuries to me could be if someone said I was arrogant. Uh, it would hurt mm. deeply because uh, I, I really yeah. try not to be. And if if I ever come across that way, then uh, it's it's a combination of my fault and the other person's lack of, mm-hmm. you know, um, knowledge of who I am, <laughs> you know, and um, of course, of course, you know, it's yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, that that's uh, yeah, that's one thing that I really that's one thing I really fear is for mm. someone to, to say, oh, yeah, that Sandy is really arrogant. Um, no, because then then I've done then something's gone wrong somewhere. You know, they haven't. They, they haven't really understood me uh, as, as a person yeah. uh, or as a professional uh, and, and as a human being, you okay. know. Um, so, mm. yeah. Sanjay, coming to the end, I just want you to tell me, uh, and for the listeners, three key takeaways for you in terms of mental attributes that you think have helped you get to where you are today. Wow. Well, uh, that's a big question. Self-realization, which... You can't just switch on. Mm. Um, you know, yeah. I think self-realization has to come from some sort of experience in life. And I think mine came mm-hmm. from the passing of my mum when I was 15. That was, I suddenly mm. woke up and realized what life was about, who I am. And I think that came from a realization of actually who my mum was and what she meant to other people after she had passed. So that kind yeah. of self-realization is a big thing. Um other mental attributes trust in your instincts um and mm-hmm. and trust your feelings um yeah because it's those are the things that will make you effective and and efficient mm-hmm. meaning you know prime example is in, in lockdown we've, we've all found that we can tackle our to-do list which never seems to end yeah. you know it doesn't matter how hard you you attack it there's always stuff that, that gets added to the bottom of mm-hmm. it um but the, the thing is, everyone just went at it thinking, I've got this time to do it now, whether I like it or not, I'm going to do it. Yeah. You know, whether it's that or getting into shape or whatever it is. If you try and do something when you don't feel like doing it, when it doesn't feel right, you're just going to fail. Mm. You're going to fail completely. You yeah. need to do some, you need to do these things, whatever it is in life, when it feels right mm-hmm. to you. Um, because yeah. then you can put your entire heart and soul and mind I'm with into you there. it. I think if you do things without the feeling, without it feeling right, 
you, you're just doing it with your head, knowing you should do it, but you're not going to be uh, mm-hmm. immersed in, and uh, fully invested in it. So trust your gut instincts. Um, okay. Absolutely. And the third thing, what would I say is the third thing? Um, check yourself, you know, look in the mirror and, and every day and reflect on who you are reflect first thing is do you like what you see you know uh mm-hmm. physically mentally emotionally and and if you don't uh address those things first because you have to be i think happy within yourself before you can uh put yourself out there and, and, and achieve other things for sure so i think it's important to to always recognize I, in a way it kind of overlaps with the first thing with the self-realization but um yeah. it, th- this is more uh this is more a self-critique than a self-realization. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're quite okay. distinct. Oh, brilliant. Self-realization, instinct, and uh, checking yeah. in on yourself. I like those. Resonate with me too. Sanjay, listen, honestly, this has been a fascinating talk. Do you know what? There were so many other things we could have talked about. Probably have to leave it for another day or probably have to get Rosh's uh, uh, thoughts on it. But um, I must admit... Thing. As a parting, as a parting thing, I would have expected you. you know, considering your passions, I'm surprised you're not a global photographer for the F1. To be honest, you know, just following the F1 around. How come that happen, hasn't happened, or is that something? Is that too much of a hobby? That's a really good one. Um, I did look into it. I looked into getting FIA accreditation, but obviously, I have my wedding business, and and I'm committed to to people and mm-hmm. clients and their events. Um, yeah. I've been trying to get Canon to at least go and let me shoot with them at uh, the British Grand Prix because Canon always have a big support presence there for okay. the official photographers. Um, but they, they always seem to have to prioritize uh, their, their sports photographers, which is, you know, sports photographer ambassadors, which is understandable. So, so hopefully one day, um, I, you know, I'll be able to, to, to be able to get in there, but you know, it's, I, I'd love to do it. I, what a way to see the world, you know, go, go around the world photographing formula one. It's, it just doesn't really get better than that. Does it? I, I think it would take over my life if I did that. Well, at that, with that Sanjay, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast. You've been an amazing guest. Thank you very much indeed. And that was my good friend, Sanjay Jogia. Very interested to hear how he considered self-realisation, trusting your instincts and checking in on yourself as three of the common traits that he's used in terms of achieving his success. I also found his outlook on imposter syndrome quite fascinating. The fact that he relies on it to help him drive forward. Um, And, you know, quite often people I speak to who suffer from imposter syndrome find it quite paralysing. And this is what I do tell them, you know, imposter syndrome means you care. It means you value what it is that you want to do. And sometimes it's just the assurance that you need from others and just doing that shows you the results that you can attain that allows you to overcome some of that imposter syndrome in that moment. Speaking to all professionals, people who have achieved so much in life, um, including myself, We all suffer from imposter syndrome at some point or other. However, it's how long we dwell on it and how we use it is key. And that's a practice which I would expect everybody to start adopting. 
Today I want to leave you with a clip from the movie Rush uh, from 2013. It's a, an F1 movie so I thought it was quite ideal considering Sanjay's uh, interest in it. This scene is at the end where um, Nicky Lauda is speaking with James Hunt and he's talking to him about how having the competition has helped to drive his competitive edge and push him even harder and how each other uh, each having each other push them even harder but also then James's acknowledgement that sometimes it's about enjoying that win as well and enjoying otherwise why do anything if you're not going to enjoy your life so hope you enjoy the clip and I'll talk to you next week you know in hospital the toughest part of my treatment was the vacuum pumping the shit out of my lungs it was hell and while doing it, I was watching television. You winning all my points. Your points? That bastard hunt, I would say. I hate that guy. And then one day, the doctor came and said, Mr. Lauda, may I offer a piece of advice? Stop thinking of it as a curse to have been given an enemy in life. It can be a blessing, too. A wise man gets more from his enemies than a fool from his friends. And you know what? He was right. Now look at us. We were both a pair of kids when we met. Hot-headed jerks in Formula 3. Disowned by our families. Headed nowhere. And now we're both champions of the world. It's not bad, huh? No, it's not bad. So don't let me down now. I need you busting my balls. Get back to work. <laughs> I will, Nicky, I will. But I intend to enjoy myself first. Well, some of life needs to be for pleasure. And what's the point of having a million cups and medals and planes if you don't have any fun? And how's that winning? Thank you for listening to the Second Success Podcast. I'm Dr. Rakesh Rana, the Clear Coach.